make us better disciples of you. All right. Well, I don't typically uh, follow news, but over the summer, I became very captivated by this story that was happening in northern Thailand, and I just followed it day by day by day. And what had happened was it was a, it was a rescue operation. There were 12 boys and their soccer coach who had gotten lost in a cave in northern Thailand. They had gone up into the cave, floodwaters had come up, and they had been trapped about three miles deep in it. And I was following this story, and what, um, what amazed me about it was how both the local community and the international community came together, and it was just like they all agreed, whether they said it in, in words or not, they all agreed that their job was to rescue these lost Boys. I mean, everyone was contributing in so many ways. There were Navy SEALs and cave experts from all over the world. The local village people, um, the area outside the cave, it became like a little village where the rescue operation was happening. And like the village people would come in and cook for the people going in and res- to rescue people. Everyone just agreed that it was their job to rescue these lost Boys. And it was an incredible, it's an incredible story. If you haven't heard it, I recommend going and looking it up. But fortunately, um, all the boys were rescued. It was a true story. But as I was thinking about this and as I was preparing for this morning, um, it reminded me that we church have a job very similar to all those people, all those volunteers who were searching for those lost boys. We are called to find the lost in our communities. We are called to search them out and rescue them with the gospel. So the question I want to talk about this morning is, how do we do this? How do we make finding the lost the priority in our life? How do we make it our motivation for getting out of bed in the morning? How do we make it the organizing principle through which we do everything else? Well, I think in order to do that, y'all will, don't panic. I'm like Brent. I have three points. I have accommodated. But uh, so... Um, I think we have to realize three things in order to make this a priority in our life. We have to realize, one, that we were lost, two, we are found, and three, God wants to find the lost. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. That's what was just read. At this point in Jesus' ministry, um, I love the Gospel of Luke, at this point, in his ministry, he has been teaching a lot. He's been performing miracles. Many people are coming to hear and see him for themselves. They're just coming to him in, in flocks. And one group of people that's coming to him often and often and often is sinners. Sinners are coming to see him, to hear him. And uh, that's where we're going to pick up. We're going to read in chapter 15. This is before we get to the parable, verses 1 and 2. This is going to set us up to understand Jesus' parable. So chapter 15 of Luke, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners, are coming to see Jesus. Both of these people, these groups of people, were very disliked. Tax collectors because they worked for Rome. Rome was the empire presiding over Israel at the time. No one liked anyone who worked for Rome. And then sinners, these were people who disobeyed the Mosaic law, um, so they were not liked. And But though throughout the Gospels and throughout Luke, especially Luke, Jesus continually, regularly dwells with these sinners. He eats with them, he engages with them, he talks with them, he brings them to himself. And throughout Luke and the Gospels, 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders hate it. They absolutely hate it. It says there in verse 2 that they grumbled that he was with the sinners and Pharisees, that he was receiving them. Now, in this particular encounter, after the Pharisees grumble, Jesus tells three parables. We're going to look at one, and these parables drive one point home. God wants to find the lost. That is his priority, and that is his reason for coming to this earth. And so to make that a priority in our life, we need to realize first that we were lost. So let's look at verses, let's start with the parable. Verse 11, chapter 15. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So we've got a father and two sons. The younger son comes to him and he says, Father, give me my inheritance. Now this is something that would never happen. This is highly disrespectful, highly unusual. The only thing I can uh, liken this to is if one of us were to go to our parent and say, hey, I know you're going to die one day. Um, Can I have what you're going to leave me in your will now? It's a very disrespectful, very thing. It's, um, It's essentially like the young son is saying to his father, I don't need you. Just give me the money. I'm gonna go. I don't need you. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, so not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the son in this story, he leaves the safety, the love of his father, the safety of his father's house, the blessing, and he goes out and he pursues his own things. And he blows every bit of his inheritance, every bit of it. He spends all of it on what Luke calls um, reckless living, basically meaning spend it without wisdom. He didn't invest it. He didn't put 10% in savings. He just blew all of it on whatever his heart desired. And if you look later in verse 30, we see that a lot of what he's spending on was prostitutes. So the younger son goes out, and he just spends it all on sinful passions. Uh, Whatever his heart desires, worldly things, he just blows it all. And as we all know, if you spend money without making money, what happens? Yeah, you run out of money. Yeah, not not, not a hard question. Um, So the money runs out, and in order to avoid starving, he gets a job. He gets a job feeding pigs. And we see how far he's falling, fallen, how desperate he's become. In verse 16, it says that he was longing for the, the paws that the pigs were eating. He wanted to eat the food that he was feeding to the pigs. I never, I honestly don't know what you feed pigs, but my guess is it's not pretty good. I don't want to eat it. Um, but who's to say that he's looking at it longingly, he wants to eat it, so who's to say that he wasn't sneaking bits of it because he's so hungry, he's so deprived. And then the kicker of his condition is verse 16. At the end of verse 16, it says, no one gave him anything. In other words, people are seeing that he's in need. People are seeing him, and no one is caring enough about him to help him. They're letting him starve. No one is loving him. This young man has not only become lost to his father, he's become lost to the world. No one is caring about him. His pursuit of his own desires has left him empty, unfulfilled, and alone. 
But then he remembers that there is maybe one person who does care about him. Pick up in verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son remembers that his father might still love him. And he starts rehearsing his apology, and he makes a plan. This is kind of like when a, when a child, I mean, I did this when I was a child. If, when a child knows they've done something wrong, and they know that mom and dad are going to find out, they start rehearsing what happened, rehearsing their apology, hopefully to receive some extra mercy for rehearsing it and everything. Um, I did that. I don't know. Maybe y'all didn't. Um, but anyway, so the son, he, 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 he has this moment in verse 17. He realizes that he's been foolish. It says he came to himself. He, he recognized, man, my father's servants are eating bread and I'm eating pig slop. Why, how could I have forsaken my father? And he realizes more than that, that he has forsaken the one who truly loved him, the one who truly provided. And so he prepares his plan, his speech. His plan is he's going to go back to his father. He says, I'm going to work for you, dad. Don't call me your son. I'll just work for you. And his confession, his apology is he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In other words, he recognizes his sin before God and his father. So we know that he's actually, like he realizes that he has messed up big time. But notice how he thinks that in order for his father to love him again, he he feels like he has to offer to be his father's servant. He has to work to earn his father's love back. Verse 19, he says, I am no, he's, he said he's going to tell his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, when Jesus tells a parable, um, he wants the people he's telling the parable to to find themselves in the parable. He tells a parable so that we, church, can identify ourselves in the parable. And we, church, are the younger son in Jesus' parable. We are people who, because of sin, have a tendency to forsake our Heavenly Father and run after things in this world, to pursue things over God and above God. We have a tendency to put our desires before God. And that can look like a lot of different things. That can look like living in intentional sin, be that lust or anger or greed or you know, anything. It can look like choosing comfort over holiness, um, choosing to sleep in over investing in our relationship with God and spending time with Him in the Word or browsing Instagram over praying for someone, or making a meal and taking it to someone. And if you don't believe that we all have a tendency to put ourselves before God, and that we have a tendency to forsake God and pursue our own desires, let me ask a question. Was every thought, word, and deed you had, did this week glorifying to God? I don't think any of us can answer yes to that question. I can't answer yes to that question. Martin Luther says it this way. Martin Luther was one of the great leaders of the Protestant Reformation. He said that in his lectures on the book of Romans to his students, he says that sin, when sin entered the world and it entered us, it curves us inward on ourselves. By nature, we curve inward. Our focus is off of God and it's on us. And that's our sin nature. 
Paul the Apostle in Romans says it this way. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us, no matter what degrees we have, how much money we have, how many good things we've done, we all fall short of God's standard. Because of sin, none of us are worthy to be God's child. The point is, church, that the young son has forsaken his father's house, the place of safety and love, and that is us. We are, as the young son says to himself, not worthy of the father's love. Because of sin, we are lost. We are lost. But, but is one of the best words in the Bible. When you see the word but, you need to circle it three times because it's an awesome word. Because, though we are lost in sin, but... This parable does not end with us being lost and ashamed of our sin and feeling bad, probably like I may have made some of you feel right now. Um, Sorry if I have. The Bible doesn't end with us being lost and sinful. The Bible ends with us being found. It ends with us being found. So let's keep reading. This is the second thing we need to realize in order to make looking for the lost a priority in our life. Let's pick up in verse, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So the son, he comes to himself, he returns home, he's weary, he's ashamed, his head is down, he knows that he's made a mistake, he's forsaken his father. He's probably also smelly and dirty. Um, He's ashamed. And it says his father felt compassion for him, meaning he felt love He felt love for his son. Notice what the father doesn't do. The father does not see his son in the distance and sit by the door preparing a good scolding for his son. The father doesn't see him in the distance and go, oh no, and goes in the house and slams the door. He doesn't do that. The father sees him, runs to him, and embraces him and kisses him. The father ran to him. And for him to run, for a man of this father's stature, to run would have been considered very undignified in this culture. And this, this running imagery is so crucial for us to see because running shows that this father was waiting. This father, day by day, was casting glances, I guess, down his driveway. I don't know if they had driveways then. But you can imagine the father's casting his vision down the driveway, looking to see every day, will my son come home? And when, he did, and when his son did come home, he ran. His father was waiting for him. We see here how much the father loves his son. And, we, and, and with that, we see how much our heavenly father loves us, church. The father welcomes him in. He gives him a robe, a ring, uh, shoes. He, he says, kill the fattened calf. I don't know what a fattened calf is, but I want to eat it. It sounds good. Um, But like when when we read it, it sounds like something that's saved for a huge, massive celebration. Church, what we're reading here in this parable is the gospel. Because of sin, we were lost. 
Because of sin, we were lost. But out of God's love for us, he sent his son to find us, to save us, to die on a cross for our sins and be raised up so that we could have eternal life. God, think of this, God ran toward us in Christ Jesus. He saw that we were lost, saw that we were pursuing things of this world, saw that we were making mistakes, saw that we could not save ourselves from sin, and he ran toward us in Christ Jesus on the cross. Amen. Yes, thank you. Amen. Look at that phrase, um, my son was dead and is alive again. So something the Bible teaches, we're actually, we're talking about this in youth a lot right now. The Bible teaches that sin separates us from God. When sin entered the world in Genesis, sin separated us from God. And to be separated from God, the, the giver of life is death. To be separated from life is death. So it says that we are dead in our sin, but it also says that while we were dead in our sin, Christ made us alive by grace. Paul in Ephesians says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So God, through Christ, made us alive. He saved us. He found us. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. Because he loves us. Because he loves you and me. And more importantly, because he lost us. When sin entered the world in Genesis, he lost us. We were the center piece of his creation. God created man and woman to be in a deep, intimate relationship with him. But when sin entered the world, he lost that. And the story of the Bible, the story that you and I are walking in, church, is the story of God bringing everyone back to him. Bringing everyone back. Finding his lost people and rescuing them. God wants to find the lost. That's what the Bible's about. That's what our life is about. That's what God is about. Now many, um, I'm guessing the majority of us in this room, uh, were at one point spiritually dead. We were at one point spiritually dead, but Christ has come into our life and made us alive. Praise God, right? However, um, I love what Stacy said during the confession of sin. Even though we're alive in Christ, we can still sin. We can still pursue other things. We can still make mistakes. We can pursue things like money or power or relationships or um, education. We can put things before God. We can still stray off the path. But the Bible teaches us that those things cannot fulfill us, those things we may pursue in exchange of God. I love that we just finished the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon in that book, kind of like our young son in this parable, runs after the world. He says, I'm going to be pursued by everything, or I'm going to be fulfilled by everything in the world. I'm going to have all the wisdom, all the money, all the relationships I want. And what did we learn? Solomon, like the young son in our story, realized that this world without the Father is empty. That's what we learned. This world without the Father is empty. So we may pursue other things, but we must understand that nothing will fulfill us like our Creator God will. He's the only one who knows us intimately. I was thinking through things that um, might become like a religion to people or, that, or things that people might turn to to fulfill them, and sports came to mind. I love sports. Um, I'm not like a super, I don't know players, but I love to watch sports. Um, but I have learned that they cannot fulfill you no matter what you do. My wife and I are Arkansas and Tennessee fans. We will never be fulfilled by sports. Um, 
But um, one of the internships I did um, after college was in Alabama. I was working at a church there. And uh, I, I learned that even Alabama fans, you know, the, the team that steamrolls everyone with all their bowl wins and championships, even they are not fulfilled by their team. They come in, they would come into church. This is a great church, by the way, great people. But one thing I noticed was that they would complain that their team didn't do good enough. They didn't beat like 63 to 0 against Arkansas wasn't enough, you know. They should have been 100 to 0. Things, anything other outside of God cannot fulfill us. And so we find ourselves in this position of the young son where we realize we've, we've made a mistake, we've run after something in this world, and then we go back to God knowing that he's the one who truly loves us, tail between our legs, knowing we deserve wrath, but we're welcomed in by a loving father. Not just welcomed in, the father runs to us and says, I love you, wraps us up, and takes us into the feast. He says, come home, child, I love you. We are found, church. We are found. And we must never get tired of knowing that, of hearing that, of preaching that to ourselves. So if we're going to join in God's mission to find the lost, then we need to remember that we were lost, we are found. We need to remember the gospel. But the third thing, we need to remember that God wants to find the lost. Let's read the end of the parable. Verse 25. So we haven't encountered the older son until now, but he's very important. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. It's quite a loud party. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So I love, I love the picture of this celebration because this is no like quiet dinner party with family. There's a band, there's music, there's food. This, the older son is coming in from the field and he's like, what is this commotion in the house? And I love this because it shows that heaven celebrates when a lost person is found. Earlier in chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God gets joy when a lost person is found. There is a party in heaven. Party I want to be at, honestly. Um, But let's look at this older brother because he doesn't want to go into the party. He's angry. He's jealous. He's angry that his father has welcomed in this younger son. Why? Well, verse 29 says, this is the older son talking to his dad. He says, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate. This older son is jealous. He's envious of this celebration that his younger, younger brother is getting. After all, he's the one that's been faithful 
He's the one who served his father all these years, who hasn't run away, who's done the right thing, who has um, obeyed and not disobeyed. He's saying, where's my reward for my obedience, father? You're rewarding him. Why don't I get a reward? I think the longer that we believe in Jesus, there's a danger that arises. The longer we believe, if we're not careful, our attitude can become like that of the older brother, where we look at lost people and sinners and we think they don't deserve what we have. We can become prideful. We can think that they don't deserve the gospel because of choices they've made or because of their situation or how they look or you know, fill in the blank with lots of things. But remember that Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling at him, being with sinners. And the Pharisees were people who believed they were too holy, too clean, too good to interact with those who were messy and sinful, whose lives were a mess. Church, let me tell you, nothing would please the devil more if we adopted that mindset of the older brother and the Pharisees where we believed that we are too holy, too clean, too good to interact with sinners. We never want to be so holy that we push off the lost, that we close our eyes to the lost, that we grumble when a sinner walks in our doors. We never want to be that way. God's heart is for the lost, and we see that in this parable. So how do we change our mindset? How do we make finding the lost the priority in our life? Well, we remember those three things. We were lost. We are found. God wants to find the lost. In short, we remember the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. Christ came and found us. And when we were lost, God was broken. He was looking for us. He wanted to find us because he wanted to bless us and love us. And then when he found us, he threw a party. When you were saved, there was a party in heaven. Just remember that. And one day we get to go join that party. But more than anything, we remember that God wants to find the lost. And we have a part to play in that. Moving into some application here, I've got a few kind of take-home thoughts, points for you guys. Um, I would guess that there may be people in this room who have not ever placed their faith in Christ, have never believed, they've never come home to their Father. And if that is you, I want to encourage you to do so. There may be, you may be broken, you may be hurting, you maybe have just pursued other things with your life. If that is you, come home. The fattened calf is waiting. This world is full of many good and tempting things, some of them not even necessarily sinful, but none of them will fulfill you like God your creator will. Place your faith in him. Come home. A larger group of us um, who are believers, maybe you're, maybe you're in here and you've made a mistake. You've run away after some kind of sin or maybe you've just made mistakes in life. You're, you're hurting you feel like God doesn't love you. You feel like you can't be in God's presence because you've sinned too much. You feel like you have to earn your way back to God. It could be a number of things. This parable shows us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Come home. The younger son thought he had to work his way back to get his father's love. That is so not true. So if, if you have sinned, if you have strayed off the path, just repent. Come home to the father into his open arms. And then the last thing, let's make God's heart for the lost our heart. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think it starts with not letting ourselves be bored by the gospel. 
I know that I'm preaching a sermon that I'm guessing a lot of you may have heard before. You may have heard something very similar. It's a popular passage, but we should never be bored by it. We should never be bored by the fact that we were dead in sin, unable to fix ourselves, and God rescued us and gave us eternal life. That is joy. So it starts there. Never let yourself get bored of the gospel. And then pray. Prayer transforms church. I tell this to the students all the time. When you pray regularly, God transforms your heart. When we pray, God, give us a heart for the lost in this world. Help us seek out the lost. Help us love the lost. God will do that. And as you pray, pray through his word. Pray through God's word. I challenge you, read the book of Luke, and you will discover God's heart for the lost. And then read the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of them. You will find God's heart for the lost in there. Pray through those books. Pray that God would give you a heart for the lost. And then um, join with God in his work to find the lost. This is how we really, really get a heart to find the lost. Don't let pride, don't let fear, don't let busyness stand in your way. Join with God. In our community, there are so many lost people. So we need to learn to love them. There's a, something that I heard recently that has stuck with me is that we don't get to decide who is worthy of God's love and who is not. Because God has said all are worthy of my love in Christ. He just wants us to love as he has loved us. We don't get to choose who we show love to. God has already chosen for us, and we're on mission for him. And in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our circles of friends, there are so many people who are lost. Maybe it's, you know, very obvious. You know, they're just living intentionally in sin. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're just someone who has pursued other things. They're loving other things and not God. Maybe they don't know God. A great mentor of mine has always told me, he said, Sam, if you see a need before you, chances are God is asking you to meet it. If you see someone who knows, who you know is not a Christian, who needs the gospel, who needs to know that there's a God who loves them and will fulfill them, it is your duty. You're the one in that situation. Don't wait for the church to do it. Don't wait for the government to do it. Don't wait for someone else. Meet it. And that's our mission as a church. Our mission is to bring the lost home. And so I encourage you, get involved. Um, our Father's Table was on the announcements. Go to our Father's Table. Serve there. I've been doing that, and it's, it is truly it's eye-opening when you see people who you just know, as well as, needing physical, as well as meeting physical needs, you're also giving hope to. You're sharing the gospel with. You're giving someone hope to get through the next day, and you're showing them that there's a God who loves them. Jump in at our Father's table. Jump in at Chili Cook-Off. You know, we do a lot of fun events here at this church, and part of the reason is so we can have fun together and we can fellowship. But those events are amazing because people outside of our church come into our church, and we get to love on them with the gospel and invite them in, to invite them home. Imagine what could happen in Batesville, Arkansas, if we all sought out the lost like we're called to do. I think about the the community in Taiwan that or not yeah Thailand excuse me in Thailand that banded together to rescue those boys. The lost were found in that situation because the local and international community all banded together toward that common goal. And if we do the same thing, this city could be transformed for the name of Jesus. So I leave you with with this with this challenge this week. Pray that God would give you a heart for the lost and help the lost come home. Remember, we were lost, 
We are found. Let's help others be found. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to sing to you, to praise you, God, because you are so worthy of our praises. You found us when we were lost. You gave us more than we deserved. And Lord, even when we stray now, you still welcome us back home. God, I pray for us this week. Lord, I pray that we will be lights in our different areas. God, I pray that we will be salt on this earth. I pray that lost people will be found through us. God, give us a heart. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Give us your heart, God. And let us bring glory to your name this week. Amen.